Hello, everybody, and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron? I am doing well, Dylan. I've been traveling a lot uh, this month, but I've been back in Austin for about two days now, so I'm happy to be home. I just moved into a new apartment at the beginning of August, and then I started traveling, so I haven't been spending too much time in my new place. So um, I'm just happy to be home and, and getting familiar with, with my new place and, you know, kind of being grounded for, for once this month. Yeah, I also just moved to a new place in Spokane, at down, downtown. I'm in, it, I'm in it now. So hopefully the new atmosphere doesn't ruin, my, ruin the recording. But there's, no, there's going to be no more giant drills, so that's, that's nice. Uh, Aaron, this is a very special episode of Z Prime on the Grid. Do you know why? I do not know why. <laughs> well, because this is our our special anniversary edition. That's right. This is we've been doing this podcast for a whole year. Twenty seven episodes, a little over three hundred sixty five days. The actual anniversary was on the seventh, but uh, the one that we put out. After that, we had already recorded before that, and I'm really good at planning, so obviously we're doing this now. But uh, yeah, so it's been a whole year, and it's been a really fantastic journey. So uh, Aaron, I want to thank you specifically for being a big part of this and contributing greatly to these discussions for throughout the whole year. Holy moly, I can't believe it's been one year. I know that you had been you know, mentioning that we were approaching that benchmark, but I didn't realize that now is that time. Yeah, it's been so fun. Launching a podcast was, we, it was really just something that we had brainstormed, Dylan, with you know, our other coworkers. And then you really drove the, the made it happen. And now here we are a year later and our audience has, has really grown. And I think the show has really grown and, and we've learned, you know, how to kind of make this thing, thing work. A lot of people, you talk to a lot of people these days, there is interest in podcasts. And um, a lot of people are listening to podcasts and making podcasts, but a lot of other people are saying that they want to do these things, but don't actually do them. So Dylan, I'd have to thank you for actually making this, making this happen and getting those episodes out and editing them and doing all the work that you do behind the scene, aside from the recording to make Z prime on the grid, what it is today. Well, thank you for your thanks or whatever the appropriate way of saying that is. Uh, And I also of course want to thank all of our listeners who've been sticking with us uh, for a year. Some of you have been on and off again. Some of you have listened to every episode. And to to all of you of all stripes, thank you. Uh, and we hope you continue to listen. In fact, we actually just posted an open survey. Uh, there will be a link to it in the description uh, to, a, to a survey about your podcast listening habits and maybe to give some feedback on, on, on the episode. Uh, so If you are a fan of the show, please feel free to take a look at that survey, fill it out so we can get that feedback and continue to uh, make the show as good as we possibly can. That's enough uh, housekeeping. Now on to what you're all here for, the main event. Our guest today, coming to us actually all the way from uh, Mexico, we've got president and co-founder of Grid 2020, the guys that won our started ETS competition last year. 
and just an all-around funny guy. We've got Alan Snook. How are you doing today, Alan? Well, I'm doing great. I'm not sure about the funny guy thing, but I'll take that as a compliment. And uh, I'm going to steal the moment here in this regard and congratulate Z Prime on the grid in total. Not not just, of course, Aaron and, and yourself, Dylan, but obviously your entire team. I think you guys have done an amazing job of pioneering a new space of information being shared in the industry. And I want you guys to know that Grid 2020 certainly is pleased to be a small part of that process. Oh, we really appreciate that, Alan. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Grid 2020, what you guys are doing in, in the energy space? Okay, I'd be happy to do that. As far as Grid 2020, it's a very interesting process. I've been involved uh, as, again, a co-founder and, and leading Grid 2020 for the last seven years, and we've developed an intergrid sensor solution that leverages distribution transformers throughout the distribution space, obviously. Uh, we, we really benefit from the information off the transformer and also the location of the transformer gives us the opportunity to capture and report very unique, uh, timely, accurate, granular, actionable information from the interior of the grid where substation software and advanced metering infrastructure and algorithms are simply unable to reliably report that type of information. So we're very unique and uh, we see ourselves pioneering this particular space, similar to you folks pioneering your space. And finally, Grid 2020 in essence has, um, you know, we've accomplished a lot in the last seven years, as you might imagine. We've accumulated 26 patents stemming across five separate countries. We've successfully demonstrated our intergrid sensor solution across 11 separate countries to date. And that has really enabled us to validate our globally relevant solution to existing and emerging globally relevant problems that exist in the distribution space. Uh, so wait, uh, you said the areas that you're focusing on, you can't get the data you need through traditional means. Why, why is that and what are you doing differently? Uh, great question. Basically, Dylan, what we have is the ability, of course, to, to be in the grid and commonly utility operators will refer to that area as the black hole. So today, as you might imagine, there's obviously connective tissue between substations and endpoint metering. So I think utilities have done a really good job at uh, nailing down the substation side of the distribution space. And obviously, we're, we're still continuing through advanced meter infrastructure deployment. So the two ends of the grid are really in, in pretty good shape. But we have in the U.S. alone, there's over 6 million line miles and 40 million transformers that make up this connective tissue between substations and endpoint metering. And again, it's really an unknown area referred to as the black hole, as I mentioned. And what we're doing is allowing utility operators to begin to understand the unbelievable amount of activity. So you know, what we really are talking about, gang, is the most vulnerable, most dynamic, and most volatile section of the entire distribution space is the area between substations and endpoint metering. And at this time, utilities basically have limited to no visibility in that area. We open that up entirely by providing the unique, et cetera, information that I mentioned earlier. So Alan, it really look, it sounds like um, you know, Grid 2020 recognized a problem in the industry. You recognize that there is this blind spot that was happening and you created a solution that would help address that issue. How did, can you kind of talk to us about how you determined, determined that was the issue that you guys wanted to help focus on? We have our startup 
competition coming up again. And a lot of advice that judges give to the competitors is make sure that you're trying to solve a problem that other people or utilities want to also solve. A lot of people try to put products out there that don't really solve a problem. So can you kind of talk about how you guys decided, you know, this is the area that we really feel like we can impact and help, you know, deliver a solution for to, to eliminate some of that, that blindness in the grid? I'll be happy to take a swing at that, Aaron. We could probably spend about three or four hours on that one, but hey, you know, for the sake of the common good here, let's do what we can in a concise fashion. Uh, basically, I go all the way back to 2010 when my partner and I were taking a look at the industry. We realized again at that time, substations really were under control. We saw the AMI element really beginning to escalate. And at that time, we said, you know what? There's there's a major hole in information coming from this grid. If we're ultimately going to create a smart grid, then we're going to need to have information that not only comes from the beginning and the endpoint, but we're also going to need information coming out of the interior. And as I mentioned, it's the most ex expansive and dynamic space of the entire distribution segment. So we looked at that and we were fortunate enough to discover an existing company in the Toronto, Ontario market back in 2010 and ultimately uh, grid 2020 took over the activities of that company on of all things april 1st of 2011 and aaron we've seen ourselves since day one as a company that will literally change the way the distribution grid is managed not just in the us not just in north america but literally on a global basis because of the uniqueness of information that we provide to utility operators so our job is to help utility operators quite frankly operate in a more efficient and a more reliable fashion. And then there are a series of, of ongoing grid edge impacts that perhaps we'll touch on here today that are creating new challenges for utility operators as well. And we really help to uncover and guide utilities how to address, uh, understand and address those problems, I should say. And we've been talking a lot at C Prime and through our research about grid modernization. I mean, that's what everyone's, that's what everyone's talking about right now because it's, it's happening. It's, it's live, and so there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about what needs to be updated when how fat how urgent this is or that is. So uh, from from what you, from what you've seen, what are, what are some of the most important areas of utility infrastructure that need to be updated sooner rather than later? Well, that's actually a really great question, and I would say I'm kind of referring back to earlier. I, I think, again, the utilities have done a tremendous job at stabilizing and solidifying the substation part of the distribution space. And again, we all know that the ongoing advanced meter infrastructure deployments continue to roll out, but there is definitely area in the middle. And if we think back to 40 million transformers, what's important here is to realize that most of the transformers in our U.S. fleet are at least 20 to upwards of 40 years of age. So they were deployed, obviously, decades ago with an understanding at that time of what potential growth might happen in their specific service area. But if you really think back to 20 to 40 years ago, you would say it's highly unlikely because it didn't happen, that most people really didn't have the foresight in those days, and surely we couldn't have expected that, to understand how DERs, electric vehicles, legalized marijuana, cryptocurrency, uh, mining, all these kinds of activities have begun to drive a collective or aggregated 
unplanned demand into the transformer fleet. So while we're all enjoying the grid edge advancements or benefits, if you will, and I think they really are you know, excellent things that are, that are going on, what we have to realize is the golden goose is actually the grid itself. And, and the grid edge advancements are kind of the golden eggs, if you will. But for the golden eggs to keep coming and to survive and to do what they're supposed to do, we're going to have to make certain that we have a stable grid. And today, as these compounding effects are continuing to strike their their fury, if you will, or their siege into the interior of the distribution space, we believe that providing utility operators vision um, and understanding what's happening to their assets and providing them the ability condition-based condition uh, maintenance and, and recognize proactively what's happening to their grid when otherwise they simply wouldn't know until an outage occurred. We think that's a very positive advancement that Greek 2020 can bring to the market. You were talking about a couple of things that are coming up, that are coming onto the grid that can affect that can affect transformer health. What what are some of the things that people aren't really thinking about that might end up blindsiding a utility? And how do you feel that utilities could better prepare for those reliability risks and protect their distribution assets? That's certainly a, a broad question and an excellent one as well, Dylan. Thank you. I, I think we really have a series of grid edge advancements or impacts that are hiding in plain sight. And what I mean by that is uh, surely we're all very tuned into DERs, for example. <clears throat> and I think it's fantastic to see the ongoing advancement of DERs and primarily, of course, rooftop solar, but we surely have some wind impact as well. Uh, Grid 2020, as a matter of fact, has been working for the last four years with Hawaiian Electric. And we just released on April 10th, I think it was of this year, a DER case study about the impacts of reverse energy and voltage impacts that result from that reverse energy driving up through transformers and into the grid, creating the potential for grid instability, grid safety concerns, and certainly grid reliability. So if you think uh, about this Sorry, thing, I just, just want to interrupt you real quick. Uh, I'm not familiar with the term reverse energy. Can you explain that real quick? Yeah. Reverse energy is actually a byproduct of the DERs, the primarily rooftop solar. And so what you have is, of course, if you have your home, you generate your own energy for the consumption of your specific home. If ultimately you have more energy created than your home happens to consume, because most of that energy is derived or generated during the day when most people aren't necessarily home to consume all that energy. So at the end of the day, uh, we have some energy that's making its way, it's excess energy, making its way back up into distribution transformers. And the interesting thing there is distribution transformers were never even conceived, let alone designed to handle reverse energy impacts. And we're talking about transformers that have been in the market for 20 to 40 years, you know, out in the service territory doing their thing. So it's kind of like, imagine it this way. Imagine taking that car of yours and dropping it into reverse every day and driving it backwards at about 80 miles an hour for just maybe four hours or so a day. And imagine what the lifespan of your car might be if you started to do that. And I think that's really a reality that we're beginning to see with substantial DERs. And I mentioned Hawaiian Electric. These guys lead the United States, to the best of my knowledge, on rooftop solar penetration. And we're very fortunate and uh, grateful for the opportunity to be working alongside those, those folks as they continue to pioneer the rooftop solar space and reverse energy impacts. So does that mean that... Utilities need to look at changing and updating their transformers, or is there a regulatory piece to it to try and 
limit the impact that re that reverse energy can have? Or is that a genie you can't really put back in the bottle? <laughs> I'm not sure you get the genie back in the bottle. So I think what we're really looking at is the opportunity to utilize a product such as ours, an intergrid sensor that you retrofit on the transformers in three to 10 minutes, almost, uh, you know, it's a very quick process for installing our product. And the moment you take an existing transformer and apply an intergrid sensor, you convert that transformer into a smart transformer again in under 10 minutes for almost all the transformers in the marketplace, at least 85 to 90% of them. And from that moment on, what you've done is given the utility, that vision into the grid to understand what impacts such as reverse energy. There are other things. We didn't talk about electric vehicle charging stations yet or legalized marijuana. Those things are driving similar uh, impact concerns to transformers. But every time we place our intergrid sensor on a transformer gang, we literally convert the transformer to a smart transformer instantly. And that is huge because in the process of what we're doing, we do not require an outage of power to install our product. Whereas if, for example, you were going to replace a transformer, and you know, drop some other kind of smart transformer or whatever in there that, that may be coming in the future, that's gonna require a significant amount of cost, time, and a power outage as well, which are all you know pretty negative, and we avoid all those items with uh, our solution. All right, so I, I, gotta, I gotta ask then, we've talked a lot about um, electric vehicles and their, their impact on the grid, like lots of utilities are focusing on that, talking about it. I mean, heck, we had a, on our very first episode, almost a year ago, today uh, we had a we had an electric vehicle guy, our good friend Carl Popham, talking about talking about electric vehicle impact. But I've basically heard very few people, other than an article I read a while back, talking about uh, the impact of uh, marijuana legalization on on the grid uh, because. I mean, for one thing, up until recently, it was just my state in Colorado that even had that even had that as an issue. But now, more and more states are uh, doing statewide legalization. I just talked to um, a, an energy professional from California who basically hadn't really even considered what that impact might be. So I know it's kind of a sexy topic for us to just kind of jump on, but uh, at risk of making this into a podcast. Cut that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cut that. Yeah, cut that. Nice yeah. One. yeah, I'm cutting that because <laughs> it's awful. But uh, dude, that was special. No, that wasn't awful. That was amazing. At the risk of it kind of stealing away from this greater talk about grid edge stuff, I, I would like to know how it is affecting the grid in this reverse energy problem you're talking about. All right. Well, actually, we have a few separate problems. So the reverse energy problem uh, stemming from DERs is one item, as I you know, shared here a few moments ago. Oh, they're not related. Years, right. So that's that's one item. <clears throat> a second item would be the electric vehicle charging stations that accompany these electric vehicles that, you know, obviously are accelerating with acceptance throughout North America. And we have states and jurisdictions, whatever, that are uh, making serious commitments to electrifying their roadways meaning you know, supplying more charging stations, et cetera, so that it makes sense to own an electric vehicle. But where the issue of importance arises relative to Grid 2020's perspective is most individuals who purchase an electric vehicle typically will have an electric vehicle charging station installed at their home. In some instances, utilities may be made aware of that. In most instances, they are not made aware of that. 
So what we have in the way of an EV charging station at the residential level is we've literally just added the equivalent of one to up to 2.5 homes of unplanned loading pressure onto the respective transformers. So if Aaron and Dylan and Alan, for just an example, all live on the same cul-de-sac and we all think it'd be great to have an EV charging station, collectively on our transformer that serves our little cul-de-sac, we just dropped in three to 7.5 added homes of unplanned loading onto that transformer. Now, I don't know who thinks that's going to be a good thing and that's going to just, you know, the transformer is going to handle that, but it's not. And we're going to have issues and there are already issues where EV charging stations are, are causing transformers to fail now. But it's not just the loading issue, which is significant, that causes EV charging stations to hopefully, I would think, keep utility operators up at night enough that they'd want to have us help them. But we also have EV charging stations, for the most part, charging at night. Because most people get home at the end of the day from work, they charge, you know, plug their car in and they do what they do. And the next morning they're ready to go. The negative there is that historically utility operators have counted on the fact that transformers would have an opportunity to cool down at night. So they can run in a somewhat overloaded fashion throughout the day for X number of hours. Transformers can handle that kind of abuse, if you will, so long as they have an opportunity to cool down at night. EV charging stations eliminate the opportunity for those transformers to cool down. So you have a, this double whammy of nighttime pressure in addition to the normal daytime pressure plus, plus, I'm sorry, the excessive loading as well. So that's EV charging stations, and that is a serious, unanticipated and unplanned and quite frankly, typically unknown throughout the grid where those, those unplanned impacts are occurring. That's what's happening in the distribution space today similar to the DER's impact that I was mentioning. And then, Dylan, your other one uh, about the marijuana side, this is a really interesting one as well. And, you know, who saw this coming? The answer is probably nobody. But we did notice, um, or read, I should say, a report that came out. It was a study done in Colorado, I, I want to say three to four, maybe five months ago, we saw this report. But someone had done a study on growing four hydroponic marijuana plants and what the energy demand is for that. It turns out it's the equivalent of 29 refrigerators of unplanned loading pressure that's extended to the upstream transformer. So, so if you want to grow plants? Four, four plants. So if Aaron and Dylan and Alan decided on that same cul-de-sac, not only did we want our EVs because it's fun to drive our electric vehicles and cut out CO2 emissions, but we also thought, um, you know, Growing our four plants each is a pretty cool idea, too. So if you, you go back to my point earlier, you've just taken three to 7.5 homes of unplanned loading up onto the transformer. Now we've each put 29 refrigerators of unplanned loading on the same transformer. So you can see how this compounding, aggregating grid edge activity is beginning to all focus its demand the same assets. And that asset is the transformer, which again is typically 20 to 40 years of age and not sized ever. The vision didn't exist 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago to imagine the sizing of transformers back in those days to begin to absorb these kinds of impacts. And that's why we're, we are talking to utility operators who are replacing upwards of 75 plus transformers a night right now because of outage pressure. Um, 
or outages occurring from loading pressure. It's just unbelievable what's beginning to happen out there. And we believe we can provide utility operators with a vision to understand where and when and how much of this unplanned loading is occurring so that they can get in front of the reliability challenges that are otherwise clearly going to ensue. That makes sense, Alan. I, th- I thought, you know, as you as you were talking through these things, um, I thought it was important, you know, to take it a step up and think about why this unplanned load is so, why it would keep utilities up at night. And I, I get that there is, you know, a focus on the piece of technology itself, the transformer itself. But Dylan, when you think about you know, why this unplanned loan is such a headache. A lot of times, you know, utilities are, you know, buying energy the day before, and it's really based off what they think their their planned load is going to be the next day. So the more insight they have into what the load actually is, the better they can plan for, uh, for the next day um, across, you know, all types of generation through the transmission level, and then to the distribution level. So it makes planning at the utility a lot easier. Um, so I think that's just another important thing to bring up as we as we look at all these issues from the perspective of the whole market. Aaron, if I may, I, I think really that's a, that's a great observation on your part. We absolutely believe that we enable the planning engineers at utilities to get what they need in the way of information from the interior of the grid, as opposed to literally just running blind and waiting for the phone to ring that we have an outage or, or worse, you know, something else happened, it's worse. But simultaneously, what I will say to you is that we directly enable and assist the operations engineers as well, because for better or worse, those poor folks are on the front line, ones that are contending with the cantankerous, uh, you know, activity in the grid and the outages and you know the reliability pressure to keep that grid firing at all times they're they're the guys on the front line dealing with it so we really provide and hence the name grid 2020 is really about 2020 vision that we're providing into the interior for the entire engineering core uh, at utilities and that is just becoming so much more valuable than it used to be given der's and decentralized generation how do utilities start to plan across all of these different types of well plan across both centralized generation and decentralized generation and the distribution grid and the transmission grid. A lot of the times right now that's happening in silos and that information isn't getting passed across utilities. So the more involved you are with the utilities and the operation and the planning, the easier it is for that data to be in the right hands of the right people and not getting stuck somewhere in an organization and being and not being passed around um, like it should be. I totally agree. And and Aaron, I mean, let's we can take it just a teeny step farther. At the end of the day, if you're supplying electricity to millions of just Americans, for example, obviously this is a global situation that we're, we're really talking about. But just if we talk about 150 plus meter, a million meters in the U.S., there's a lot of pressure on these utilities. Obviously, there's a big expectation. I think it's a tremendous amount of pressure on utilities to do a lot sometimes with less. And so, yes, they have great information at the substations, and yes, they're getting information at the endpoint. But as we do know now, they cannot access the information on the most expansive, vulnerable, and dynamic part of the grid via the AMI meter infrastructure of the substations or algorithms. They have to have a sensor in the interior of the grid to really, truly understand these unplanned and unknown impacts. I mean, quite frankly, 
if any of the three of us decided we were going to start legally growing marijuana in our home tomorrow and driving 29 refrigerators worth of load up onto a transformer, nobody would have a clue that we were doing that. And in most cases, few people know or few utilities know that an EV charging station is installed. That creates another problem as well. And we haven't even talked about cryptocurrency mining, which is creating a massive amount of unplanned loading onto transformers. And a quick story there, I just was with a, an IOU in Texas about three weeks ago. <clears throat> Along that conversation, one of the things they shared was um, they actually are charging cryptocurrency miners for the replacement after they've totally crushed the transformers. Uh, they're charging those customers, even though the customer is paying their bill, it really should have been the customer's responsibility to call the utility and say, we're about to crush this transformer with loading. And they obviously did not. They brought the transformer down. It was a, you know, it's an Audi's replacement, pole replacement, fuses. I mean, there's a big deal here. And so at the end of the day, in that case, that's how that utility chose to handle it. But we've got tremendous amounts of growing pressure, striking the grid, all fo focused toward the transformer. And we are the guys, in our opinion, that are going to provide the necessary vision for utilities to see it before it becomes a problem rather than after it becomes an outage or worse. And fire is certainly one of the big issues that uh, is under debate right now in California. There's a serious amount of legislation dealing with utility-related assets causing fires, and, and we certainly see transformers being that, that very high probability causing fires as well. It's a serious issue. Yeah, actually, uh, in Spokane, uh, my hometown, they they actually just this week, the city council passed, uh, they adopted a law that pledged the city of Spokane would be, would adopt exclusively renewable energy by 2030. Um, other cities in Washington have already made this pledge, but they were kind of spurred into action by the ridiculous amounts of smoke that have been choking us for the past two weeks um, and everyone in the Northwest. So yeah, that, that I, we have noticed that because those fires uh, are, can be in some parts caused by some of those sorts of things and also um, can be, can be affected by them in terms of their integrity. It just, it's been spurring, it's been spurring action. And it also just gets people thinking about air quality in general. So I had a question for Alan, going back to the crypto. I had two questions that came up when you, when you started talking about crypto. One is, I guess this is more of a statement, and then I'm going to ask you what your opinion is on it. I've, you know, travel a lot being an analyst in the industry and talk to a lot of different utilities. And I would say that a fair amount of utilities are still saying that crypto mining isn't significant enough in their service territory to account for it. Alan, you just gave a, a great a real life example of how a utility needed to account for crypto mining. What do you, I guess, what would be your opinion or what do you have to say to the utilities who don't yet think it's important enough to account for? Aaron, what I think I would say to that is it's very similar, quite frankly, to EV charging stations and legalized marijuana and the DERs that I made mention of here during this chat and ongoing power theft, for example, that we haven't spoken about at all. <clears throat> all of these activities are absolutely driving 
unplanned load and in most instances unknown unplanned load unknown meaning the utility does not know where it's occurring they can't know you certainly wouldn't know where power theft is occurring and you surely wouldn't know cryptocurrency mining and legalized marijuana and you may or may not know ev charging stations and you will likely know where rooftop solar is because most utilities do require the consumer to notify the utility accordingly but at the end of the day I think anybody can imagine that their grid is okay or their grid is not impacted or affected or whatever. But I think if you get to those utilities that are in the areas where EVs are coming along pretty hard, where marijuana has been legalized, where DERs are really, you know, the uptake is pretty significant, and where cryptocurrency is occurring, whether it's extremely concentrated or not is irrelevant. Each one presents its own concentrated problem. But I would say to all those utilities very respectfully, this is this thing is hiding in plain sight. It's coming right at them. It's a reliability risk. And we can either wait for those reliability issues to emerge as we've done for decades. But at those, those previous decades, honestly, Aaron, utilities didn't have access to a technology that could give them the necessary insight and allow them to be proactive rather than historically reactive to conditions that occur inside the grid that they otherwise didn't even know were happening to them. We changed that paradigm 180 degrees. So I think they can again choose to bear the burden of the reliability degradation that's going to occur by all these impacts that are clearly developing, they're undeniably developing, or we can be proactive and you know, treat this in essence as, a, as an excellent opportunity for a capital expenditure investment that provides utilities the opportunity to ensure ongoing reliability and ensure that our individual grids have the ability to safely and reliably deal with these various grid edge impacts that, again, are undeniably striking the grid today, all focused at the transformer level. Can we talk about power theft a little bit? It's certainly not something Dylan and I have covered on the podcast. So, Alan, can you tell us about, I mean, what exactly, when you say power theft, what exactly are you referring to? Are you, are you would that essentially just be like me somehow, you know, taking my neighbor's power and then the utility doesn't know that I'm also, you know, I'm not I'm using that power, but I'm not supposed to be. Is that what you're referring to, or what exactly is power theft? Well, I'm actually talking about straight up power theft. And what I'm referring to there, Aaron, <clears throat> is that in the US, if I think back, actually, this is very interesting. If I think back to when I got involved with Grid 2020 at that time, industry experts suggested that power theft in the United States alone was in excess of four billion dollars per year. And I'm going to answer your question here in a sec, but I want to frame it up in this regard. So $4 billion per year back in 2011-ish, 2010, 2011. And then a few years into it, we began to hear 4 to $6 billion. And now we're up to present day, and industry experts are suggesting that 6 to $9 billion per year of energy is stolen from the distribution grid. And here's what happens, Aaron. People who steal power are typically the smartest people in the room. And that's just the way it works. Criminals somehow always have that knack about them, it appears. But what people do, Aaron, is they tap the power line in front of the meter. They typically do that underground so that no one can see it. 
So they will tap in front of the meter. They will put a service panel in their basement, for example, and they will steal as much power off of that line as they want in perpetuity without fear of being caught, typically if AMI has been deployed in their market. So the phenomenon that we've seen is that AMI continues to be deployed, power theft commensurately increases. And the reason it increases is because power thieves know that when AMI is installed, which is part of the AMI business case, utility folk are not going to come back to their property every month to read their meter. They're not going to come back ever again, quite frankly. So because they're never going to come back again and the utility folk aren't going to have boots on their ground, as soon as AMI hits the deck, the people who operate illegal marijuana grow-ups, the people who operate meth labs, the people who do operate the cryptocurrency mining, and then other people for various reasons, such as you know, their air conditioning or their heating, but people steal power deliberately and intentionally, and they do it significantly at now six to $9 billion per year. So it's a big deal, Aaron, and that's a lot of unplanned load that's being driven to transformers, and there are transformers that are failing today as a result of power theft that are being replaced. And in those instances, perhaps the power theft is actually detected. But it's hard for a utility to find power theft, especially once they've done AMI. And we actually reveal where the power theft is occurring in the grid because we create a reconciliation point at the transformer. And we, therefore, can align downstream metering against the consumption that's left, the energy level that's left the transformer, and we look for deltas. And we help utilities today find power theft, typically illegal marijuana grow-ups, as I mentioned, although meth labs have been found and there are other reasons have been found as well that we uncover for the utility. That's a real deal. It's strange that AMI so, doesn't already AMI meters don't already do that. They can't touch it, Dylan, yeah. because it happens in front of the meter, right? A theft occurs in front of the meter. That's what thieves know. Way back before uh, smart metering was out. Thieves would steal at the meter. That was a normal thing. They'd tamper with the meter and they'd do all kinds of things. And so AMI has evolved through the years to be tamper-proof and all these other things. But rookies now, rookies steal at the meter. The people who really are stealing 6 to $9 billion a year power out of the U.S. grid absolutely know all they've got to do is tap in front of that meter somewhere. And typically, as I mentioned, it's underground, so it cannot be seen. And they will steal in perpetuity without fear of detection as much as they want. And you take someone like a, mar or a deal like a marijuana grow up or a meth lab, let me tell you, it's massive amounts of energy every month being stolen out of that part of the grid. And that's just happening all over. You can't get the six to $9 billion a year without a lot of people doing it. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. I, that was, I guess that was my, you know, question when I was asking, you know, what is power theft? I didn't realize that it was happening in front of the meter. So I guess it's fair to say that behind the meter, behind the meter, like as much visibility as the utility can get behind the meter, it's not really that helpful in determining power theft. It's unlikely to, Aaron. I'm going to refer to it, and, and I'm being a little anecdotal in this sense by saying it's a rookie steal. You know, rookies are going to steal behind the meter or at the meter, but that's just not where power thefts really happening. It's happening in front of the meter. And the only way we're going to truly identify where it is is to get the reconciliation point on the other side of the theft, where it's occurring, the actual point of theft. And imagine, we, we know, let's just use a simple math here. 
if we have 100 kilowatt hours leaving a transformer and there are four meters downstream and collectively they're registering 70 kilowatt hours, we're missing 30 kilowatt hours. What's up? Now, there's several reasons why that could be. But at the end of the day, that's in part how we go through a process that allows us to pinpoint where in the distribution grid power theft is occurring and enable utilities to take remediation action, therefore. Well, that's just, that's really eye-opening because I, I mean, first off, I didn't realize the scale at, at which it happened or really hadn't thought that much about the purpose of it, although it makes sense when you lay it out like that. Um, yeah, I think uh, ultimately what you're, what you're trying to say well, you're saying a lot of the, a lot of really poignant things, but I think you're right in that it's not just the crypto mining. It's not just that someone might have a hydroponic marijuana plant. It's that it's that you're the uncertainty of when these things are going to pop up, where they're going to pop up, and how many of them are means that you can't just like discount one one thing because in the in this one area at this one time. It hasn't. It hasn't had a significant impact, right? That's what you're getting at. I really am. I, I think you did a great job of rolling that up, and you know we're back to the same appropriate message here. Why would we not want to know these things in advance and avoid all of the, whether it be the outage itself and all those massive inconveniences that come, the potential fires, the potential risk of property loss, and you know on we go, and and sadly. California again, and Dylan, you've obviously referred to it here with the smoke that you folks are seeing in your area. But California has endured uh, you know, significant loss, loss of life even last year as a result of, of utility assets that unfortunately failed. That doesn't mean we're going to solve every problem by placing sensors in the grid, but we surely will give utilities an, oppor an opportunity to foresee many problems that otherwise could easily become that major issue that nobody ever wanted to have happen. So I, I think in the past, the technology wasn't there. So unfortunately, we all had to live with that risk. But now the cost-effective technology is here. And I think it would be crazy for us to live with that risk when we have the ability to proactively fix it. So that's, that's why we're very optimistic about what Grid 2020's future looks like. We see no way that intragrid sensors cannot be part of an ongoing smart grid development and a grid modernization approach. There's no way without understanding what's happening in the most dynamic space, can we operate ultimately a smart grid? So just one more thought on that before we move on. We have a, a contractor at Z Prime, um, Shay Fabaday, that actually refers to this as death by a thousand cuts um, for the utility. It's not just going to be one thing that is going to really kill the utility business. It's going to be a lot of different problems that may be overlooked or not addressed because they they currently don't think it's significant enough of a problem to address. It's going to be those those small little things that start to build up and build up and build up that make things for utility to continue business the way it is right now that will make that no longer viable. And so that's just one thought I wanted to to put out there because I think it really does do a good job of summarizing how utility needs to be looking at a lot of different things right now, um, but will, that will eventually converge in the future and become a large problem if not addressed right now. Totally agree, Aaron. The most vulnerable place for utilities in the distribution space today 
is at the transformer level between substations and endpoint meters. It's the most absolute vulnerable place. And we can give the necessary vision proactively into that space. And that's, again, why we are very confident Grid 2020 is going to be a super successful company. And I got to say, one thing that I'm kind of optimistic about, though, is and it's something I really like about the, the like the startup mindset is that because thought leaders in the industry basically have three refrains from the ones we've talked to on the podcast and from events we've been to and things we read online. And the three refrains are uh, the, fu- the future of the future of the grid offers possible offers possibilities previously thought like people wouldn't have even dreamed to think of before. The second thing is, is that the, it also brings a, a litany of apocalyptic problems that no one even would have thought of before. But then the third, but then the third point is that, but these are all foreseeable for, well, they're mostly foreseeable, manageable, as long as you have smart top-down planning and you and you partner with the right people and that's kind of no one ever says well this problem's coming but there's just no way we can fix it or the technology won't be there by the time it comes up so so shrug um i mean some people say that but the reason we do things like start at ets these kinds of things that promote start promote startups and reason you know companies throw gigantic conventions where people can come show these kinds of things off. It's so that it's that notion that uh, that we're, we're strategizing now so that we don't suffer the death of a thousand cuts that we're able to, that we're able to smartly and economically put the pieces together to be able to uh, have a healthy, sustainable grid of the future. And that it is possible even with all of these daunting problems. Well, Dylan, I'm not sure other than to agree with you, really, uh, it was an interesting perspective. And I, I must say, I don't think I've ever said the words death by a thousand cuts. I think this was my first time and you guys caught it uh, on a tape. So that's cool. But um, what I will say to you is this uh, on your number three, that problems are foreseeable and, and you know, we'll be able to be in front of them, et cetera. <clears throat> I think we have to go back to a very basic principle, which is information is power data is king, whatever way you want to say that, information is power. And what we are doing with intergrid sensors is we're providing unparalleled, absolutely not able to get it any other way, information for utilities to not only foresee the problems, Dylan, that you're talking about that are coming, but I would also argue that the problems, in essence, some of them are already here. They're happening today. I can't come away from a utility a couple of weeks ago in particular who's telling me they're replacing 75 transformers a night. That's a big deal. That's a lot of money every month. They told us what the money is. I won't repeat it. It doesn't matter. But they're not the only ones. This is happening all over the place. You go to areas that are marijuana legal and they they are dealing with problems. And then power theft is always ongoing, creating unplanned outages, et cetera, because people don't know where that unplanned load is occurring, et cetera. Same with EV charging stations and DERs, as we said earlier. So part of the problems here today, it's not coming. It's not we've got five or 10 years to think about it and ponder it and maybe work on a few pilots and trials and think about what we're going to do. This thing is here right now. It's already here. It's undeniable. And it's growing fast. 
EV charging stations, legalized weed, cryptocurrency mining. This stuff's here and it's happening quickly. Mm -hmm. Utilities can't get there any other way. In my opinion, they cannot go out and replace the whole fleet of with smart transformers of some kind for various reasons, including cost and outages and the inability to have enough crews to even do things like that in the time it would take. In minutes, three to 10 minutes, we convert 85 to 90% of transformers into instantly smart transformers that will enable utilities to see this information and understand where they need to deploy their, their attention and their resources to ensure reliability is appropriately preserved. We've been we've been going for we've been going for a while, so I think I think this is a good good place to leave it. Thanks for coming on, Alan. Uh, learned a lot about the grid edge in this in this very in the in the distribution space. So thank you very much for that. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for allowing me to be uh, involved with your anniversary edition. Again, congratulations to everyone over at, at your camp. I think you guys are doing a great job. I oh, appreciate that. Thank you very much. And thanks, Aaron, for being on this show and for almost every other show over the past year. Oh, you're welcome, Dylan. I, I love doing the podcast. It's just, you know, another form of content that we put out at Z Prime to try to engage people in the industry and really push that thought leadership. So again, Alan, thank you today for coming on. I've learned a lot about power theft. That's something that I don't you know, clearly I didn't know that much about and certainly an issue that I'd like to look into moving forward. Um, and Dylan, I know you'll plug this, but for our listeners, we, Dylan and I, we try our hardest to, you know, think of what's really relevant in the industry and what should we be covering on the podcast. But we're deploying this survey um, over the podcast to really get some feedback from our listeners on, on what you guys like that we talk about, what you don't like <laughs> that we talk about, what would you like to hear more of, um, any suggestions on who we should have. Uh, we would just really appreciate feedback from our audience on how we can improve the show so that maybe next year um, we'll look back and say, you know, this was this was a really great year for growing and, and audience interaction has has really helped propel the podcast forward. So if you guys could you know, take a little bit of time, fill out that, I think it's like six or seven questions on that survey. We would just really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And like I said before, the link to that survey is going to be in the description below on your, on your SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you're listening to us from. And of course, yes, thank you all for listening and for giving us a great year of of podcast hood podcast whatever <laughs> uh you meant more... podcast go ahead I, I interrupted you but i know oh, you can cut it you meant podcast on, yes dude. exactly I'm trying to save you there i don't want you to lose that good one you got to find our research and media go to etsinsights.com follow us on social media at z prime underscore research at dy lockwood at aaron underscore hardick and we're also on linkedin my name is dylan thank you for listening for a year we hope to see you next time and over the next year. Bye.